says, get that India, big boy. G'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Tip Sheet. I'm your host John, also known as 4020. Joining me as always is my good mate 60s. 60s, a pleasure as always champ. How are you doing today? Mate, I'm doing really well. Actually I was frozen to the bone a little bit earlier. I the chill factor. The yeah. captain's run uh, this morning and uh, yeah, it, was a, it was a cold one out there. Winter is coming as I like to say in uh, George R. R. Mountain's fantasy universe. It is getting nice and sharp out there. We've got a lot to talk about today because the podcast is coming out a little bit late. We do apologize for that. It's been a very busy week for individual members of TCT in one way or another. Sixties has been out gallivanting at a junior rep, uh, junior rep presentation nights. I've been banged up with a knee injury, so we've sort of convened late on Friday. Um, I'm going to get this out ASAP on SoundCloud. So let's uh, get into the swing of things, Sixties. We'll start off a very quick review of the unfortunate loss in round 11. Uh, it was part of the uh, unofficial Indigenous round as the Eels had a two-week block for Indigenous round in order to have a home game. So the uh, Boromadigal, Parramatta Eels taking on the uh, Gaia Mago and Gadigal Manly Seagulls. And unfortunately, Parramatta slumping to their second loss and their second loss at home this year in a 28-6 to uh, defeat. They could only be described as a spanking for the Eels. Quinton Gufferson opened the scoring for them in the 13th minute. Mitchell Moses converted. Whereas for the uh, Sea Eagles, you had Brad Parkland having a double, Carl Lawton, Ruben Garrick, and Tom Dubovic scoring right before the buzzer. Uh, Garrick going four from five from the kicking tee. Both teams having two players sinbind, Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Wonga Blake for the blue and gold, Carl Lawton and Jake Dubovic for the maroon and white. Uh, as part of that uh, strictly enforced crackdown on high shots and cynical plays. I don't know where you want to start with this 160s. We're watching this game together as usual. And I think you noted to me within the first uh, five or six minutes that the Manly team was just out-muscling and, and winning all the collisions in this game and it was going to be a long day for the Eels. And that ended up being true. Doubly so because every time Parramatta had a chance to uh, put the, the constrictors on Manly and, and apply some pressure, they just went for the hero play. Yeah, right from the start, as you just noted there, we uh, were talking about the the easy ground that Manly were making through the middle, uh, then Parramatta started to even bounce off the tackles. The hit and stick just wasn't happening. The funk started in the middle of the field. And I know there's been a lot of uh, people who have been directing their displeasure towards uh, the outside backs, in particular Wonga Blake. But what I'm going to say is, if the job was being done through the middle of the field as it should have been, then there would not have been the undue pressure that was placed on the outside backs. And uh, let's face it, that Manly directed a lot of their attacking traffic to their left, to the Eels' uh, right, and um, they were given that opportunity by virtue of what was happening in field. So if you shut it down... When the before their second phase play, if you shut it down before that ball is shifted, uh, you're not worried about what's happening out wider. So, um, yeah, the, as I said, and as you just noted, we picked up that all was not well very early on. And uh, uh, look, apart from that, mate, I, I think I'm 
going to start a petition to not play any more Sunday afternoon games. Yeah, it, it's a bad – I don't know why. You'd think the Eels, with their free-flowing and, and aggressive footy, would be, you know, sure things on a Sunday afternoon, but it just does not mesh well with them one way or another. Um, and it is worth mentioning, we did touch this on touch on this with our, our live show at the club in Pablo's, but prior to kick off a couple of hours ahead of it, um, the unfortunate news, the tragic news broke that Bob Fulton Bozo had passed away, and that obviously galvanised the Manly team um, in a big way. They came out and really tore into the uh, middle of the field and, like we said, won those collisions big time. Um, so, you know, well done to Manly paying tribute to one of their legends, arguably their club's greatest legend um, in that regard. So, yeah, it put an unfortunate pallor over that game. Uh, but Manly, too good on the day. Um, like you said, a lot of fingers being pointed at the right edge, and deservedly so. Um, there's clearly some uh, systematic issues down that side. Uh, and Manly had a, a simple but effective game plan to just work the ball to their right and then load up for that left edge shift. And the Eels really struggled to contain it. But the uh, underlying issue for that game was what you laid uh, laid your uh, sort of claim at there, mate, was the Eels just weren't weren't competing through the middle and it allowed Manly free reign to tee off down their left edge. Yeah, and if you're going to equate it to a game, I, I thought it was one of the worst performances that we've put in in the last 12 to 18 months. E- easily, and, yeah, I agree. And I, I equated it to the game that we played against the Rabbitohs during the normal rounds yeah, last it year. Was, it was not far off that, yeah, I agree. Uh, and in that of... game, it was, it was a, a similar proposition where the the Rabbitohs won the middle and uh, Parramatta were just back on their heels waiting defensively. And uh, if you are passive in your defence, you are opening the door for um, whatever form of attack the opposition wants to throw at you mm-hmm. because literally you're, you're opening that door, you're inviting them to be the the ones that are setting the, the trend for the game. I mean, you if there's one thing that a team needs to do, it's to stamp their authority at the start of a game. The, you want to be dictating how that game is going to be played. And in last week's game and in that game last year, we allowed the opposition right from the start to dictate the way the game was going to be played. And it, and it basically played out accordingly where you've got one team in complete control and the other just watching them do what they do. And aside from issues through the middle and issues outright, out white, outright wide, I got there defensively. Sorry, um, I don't think I can recall a game in recent memory where our one, seven, and nine have played as bad collectively as they did. It was just a really bad day at the office for Gufferson, Moses, and Marnie, with each of them having multiple errors or poorly executed plays uh, laid at the at the feet of each player, and yeah, it look, came at crucial times. I think that that is another um, factor that we have to put into it because not only did we leak the points, but we couldn't do anything with the ball when we had it in reasonable field position. And you'd have to say that it was a game where we lacked muscle mm-hmm. and then it was also a game where we lacked football intelligence. Yeah, uh, and that, that was across the park, not just the one seven and 9 uh, Mike Acevo makes one line break and tries to offload the ball way too early. Makes a second line break in the second half where Mitchell Moses scores for all money if he just passes, but takes the takes the carry himself and dummies at the last line. Uh, we had some you know bad offloads throughout the course of the game, some uh, obviously bad defensive reads, but 
Uh, I think Madison forced a bad pass, a bad offload in the first half. Bryce Cartwright comes on and has a bad kick. It, it was just across the entire park. Awful. Stevo has that the ball on the ground in front of him and uh, and goes for the toe. Ahead yeah, correct, correct. That, that was an easy easy turnover. He just jumps on the ball, toes it ahead, and kicks it in the touch. Uh, there was so much of that throughout the entire the entire team. Um, and you know, I was doing the grades this week because Mitch was unavailable, and it was real. It was a real slog. Um, I was just trying to think of players that stood out. I thought Tom Opacic had a pretty solid game. Um, the front rowers did some decent stuff, but like you said before, we were losing the contest in the middle defensively, so that's also on them. Um, yeah, probably Nathan Brown. Might yeah, Brown. Brownie was good. The, I mean, and this isn't a criticism of Brown, but more a reflection of the the grind that Moses and and the other playmakers are in, including young Jacob Arthur and, and Guffo and Marnie. They just kept turning Brown back inside. Uh, we we weren't attacking the line downhill, using unders and overs lines, making the defense have to make uh, decisions under duress. And that's part of the reason why Manly were able to so effectively strangle us out of that game. So um, that one's in the record books. Parramatta's uh, second loss of the season. Uh, and like we said, they're both their losses coming at home on Sunday games, which is just bizarre. Uh, unfortunately, Eels do drop back to third as a result because of Melbourne's superior for and against. They've been handing out thrashings left, right and centre to the mediocre teams below them. And um, yeah, it'll set up a, a big revenge game against Seagulls at some point in the future. But... Geez, the, uh, the review of this one, when they do their video work or have done their video work, given it's Friday now, it would have been scathing 60s, and I reckon the players would have been uh, every bit as upset as themselves as the coaches would have been. Yeah, and I think it's... Um, it's I don't know if you'd say it was the loss that anyone had to have. I, I think what we are needing to take a step back and, and, and take a breath on is that well, first of all, first of all, the Eels are nine and two, at, uh, and I think any supporter would gladly take coming into uh, at the end of round eleven to be nine and two. Uh, the other interesting thing to talk about is what are the expectations for the for the rest of the year? Now, I was asked this the other night at the uh, junior representation night. What am I expecting for the rest of the year? And I said without hesitation, I expect us to lose another three or four games before the end of the year. And obviously you go into games expecting to win, planning to win, but realistically you go, there's going to be games where the other team is far better for whatever reason, or or we aren't quite at our best. Because to go through, like Penrith are doing at the moment, on fire in their form, barely losing a match or not losing a match at all, it's almost unrealistic to expect. And so if the Eels manage that sort of record where they only drop another three or four games during the season, you'd expect then that's with the way that the table's looking at the moment, that's top four spot. Correct. That they would get, yeah. right? Now, as far as the Panthers are concerned, they've been playing premiership, level football, grand final winning football since the first trial game that we played against them and they have barely wavered from that. Yeah, barring they, the Brisbane game. To go through, yeah, if they manage to go through this season undefeated, if they manage to win the premiership maintaining the level of form that they are doing at the moment, the, the level of form where commentators are saying well, are they going to lose? Can you see 
and you see them dropping a game in this this. I think that was Pete Stowing's argument this week. It'll be uh, it'll be the best performance I've ever seen from any team, and it'll be good luck to them for doing it because they will have well and truly deserved the premiership. I'm waiting for them to have a hiccup. Um, I I just can't see a team playing like that for an entire season, and they showed that it can come unstuck last year when they got to the main game, the big dance, and they didn't deliver in that first half. Yeah, correct. Um, so anyway, I, I so just back on Parramatta, look, I'm going to be realistic. I expect us to lose some games before the end of the year, and um, let's not go overboard in our reactions to a loss here or there because it's going to happen. There was uh, one other game on the weekend as well, 60s. We weren't able to uh, watch this one outside of the last uh, two or three minutes, unfortunately, because we were doing that pregame show out at Pablo's in the Leagues Club, which was great fun. Had a chance to chat to Steve uh, Zipsipella and uh, Dave Lydiard, both of whom were fantastic interviews. So um, if you have a chance to listen to that, make sure you check that one out. Uh, but we got there in the last two minutes to see the Eels falling to the uh, 11th placed Manly, or sorry, the Blacktown Workers Seagulls. Yeah, that's what they're, they're badge now. Uh, 34 to 24. So uh, Eels dropping a game against the last place team in the competition, unfortunately. Uh, for the Eels, Nathaniel Roach, Ray Stone, Ellie Elsgaham, and Michael Oldfield scored. Rankin Floors off the tee, 4 from 4. And for the Worker Seagulls, Tim Simona nabbing a hat trick with uh, Jordan Liu and Kari Apuri uh, Pukatapu and uh, Tolotau Koala. Uh, scoring as well. Brad Kieran, five from six. George Defoe, Sinbin in the 78th minute for what it was worth. Um, yeah, we don't really have much to say about this one. Weren't there, although you were getting constant updates uh, from various people in attendance. 60s, essentially the same game or same story as the game that followed uh, in the NRL. Eels not winning the collisions through the middle, allowing the uh, Blacktown Worker Seagulls to have their way out wide. Yeah, I think I think that pretty much sums it up that they um, uh, they weren't in the contest through the centre of the field. And then that exposes uh, and what is a, a, some young outside backs for the Eels. Yeah. And, um, yeah, again, this comes down to uh, what we expect from this uh, developing group of players that are in the New South Wales Cup team. Um, we talked about it's going to be a, a wild ride watching them during the season they're going to perform um, some great feats out on the field in some games and in other games where uh, they're going to be exposed it's um, yeah it's I, I think it's going to be that roller coaster ride that they'll have for the season mm-hmm. and uh, before we move on to bigger and better things in the podcast let's just do some housekeeping out of round 11 uh, the club announcing on teamless Tuesday that Ray Stone has picked up an ankle injury out of that clash against the Blacktown Worker Sea Eagles. He is TBA on his return, though, so we have to wait and see the severity and extent of his injury to the ankle. Uh, Will Smith remains on track for a return in rounds 13 or 14 with a thumb injury. And then in terms of uh, suspensions and whatnot that come out of that round, we mentioned that uh, Reagan Campbell-Guard was sent to the sin bin. He copped a grade two high tackle charge, uh, facing two weeks, but with the other guilty plea, He'll get one, which means he'll be out of the round 12 contest against the Rabbitohs. Uh, Wanga Blake caught a couple of uh, fines for 
been on report twice, I think, in that game. So he's um, going to be a couple thousand dollars short in the pocket. And in the reserve grade game, Keegan Hipgrave uh, getting his first suspension as an eel, a dangerous throw or a dangerous tackle, I believe the charge was, and he's going to get a two-week holiday um, as a result of that. So the eel's down a few trips this week between injury and suspension. Um, but yeah, uh, Reg still very much in the mix for a state of origin uh, call-up, uh, given that it's only a one-game suspension. Uh, and I believe with the injury to Payne Haas last night, uh, depending on the severity of that, it might actually open up the way for him to potentially start. So uh, interesting twists and turns there for representative Eels or prospective representative Eels 60s. Um, but it's going to mean the Eels are going to be underhanded and short uh, short of staff for round 12. Yeah, so there's that very real prospect that both Eels props will feature perhaps in the New South Wales origin starting side. And then I have to also think that with... Uh, the uh, suspension of uh, Radley that uh, maybe there's a chance that Nathan Brown comes into consideration for a bench spot. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, interesting times. And we'll find out those team lists on Sunday evening, I believe, is when they're announcing them after the final game of round 12. So stay tuned for that. TCT will probably cover that via Twitter. And I imagine that grades and musings will have some reference to them too. So stay tuned for that. Um, and before we go on to our chat with Joey this week, just a, a nice little bit of breaking news from the Eels this morning. Uh, Ryan Madison and Mitchell Moses both re-staying or re-negotiating uh, extended stays of the club. In Ryan Madison's case, he's just enacting his player option for 2022. So he's uh, here for a further 12 months, which is always nice. And for Mitchell, this is one that we've spoken about on the podcast for a few weeks now, 60s. Uh, but he's both enacting his player option and extending of the club for three years. And he'll be here until the end of 2024. So uh, I believe that's correct. Yeah, so well, he's here to the end of 2024 one way or another. So uh, very good uh, good times for the Eels. Locking in your uh, first choice halfback is always a huge deal. Uh, it's a massive vote of confidence from both sides. And it gives the Eels the ability to now go ahead of their cap planning, knowing that one of their huge building blocks and key pieces is in place for a long time. Yeah, and I think it's also emphasising that uh, Parramatta are, are placing uh, in great importance on the retention side of, of things because there's a, a number of players who were either having options next year coming off contract or were signed to shorter term deals some of the the fellows that have just joined the club this year so uh there has to be a focus on uh retaining extending contracts and uh making sure that that's done before uh it gets into that that awkward side where yeah. it becomes a distraction. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you can see ball. it impacting the team and the player on the field. Um, that, yeah. that, that certainly can play heavy on you know both the, the team and, and the player itself because it is such a serious matter. So thankfully, um, fantastic housekeeping work from Brad Arthur and Mark O'Neill and the extended re uh, recruitment retention team there. Well done to all involved. And the other little bit of news that I forgot to mention uh, earlier in the week, NRL.com reporting that the Eels and Bryce Cartwright are now beginning to pot out a potential extension uh, for the utility back rower. So Bryce finding a nice little home on the bench for the Eels, playing big minutes um, and being deployed in some pretty interesting ways and effective ways. So good to see that there for Bryce and the Eels, and uh, hopefully they can come to terms at some point in the future. As uh, six yeah, years, I think Do you have a popular man I fielding phone calls left and right? <laughs> yeah, forgot to, forgot to put the phone on silent there. My apologies. Um, look, I think 
I think one of the things that it's important to mention is that as fans, we can become uh, impatient, uh, unhappy about whether certain contracts are being done at, within a reasonable period of time or um, or that it, it, it gets to a point where there's a player's unsigned. I think we have to trust the processes now that are that are. Uh, I think there's a, there's enough deals. goodwill banked by uh, O'Neill, Arthur, and the, like I said, the rest of that recruitment retention panel that uh, fans should at least trust them in some capacity. They've done a fantastic job for a number of years now. Yeah, look, I honestly I don't think there's too many players that want to leave. So if if it's done in a way. And, and it seems to be the way that it's it's kept behind closed doors. The negotiations don't end up out in the newspaper or what have you. And and even I think when it does, it's I think it really falls into that clickbait category, doesn't it? When the journo's want to make something of a player not quite being done. I I know there's been instances where they're they're carrying on about someone hasn't signed or it's still carrying or it's still going on, and it's actually the, the the deal's pretty much been done. Yeah, and I think still, a lot of it's been built on going back to was it twenty seventeen ish or twenty early twenty nineteen. Eels were potentially dragging their heels a little bit on uh, the Quentin Gufferson uh, retention, and that that was really brought out into the media for a long time. But since then, the club has been doing things quite well, as far as I know. So. Yeah, like you said, a bit of quickbait stuff, a bit of milking of the headlines, because as we know as uh, fans of the Blue and Gold, that Parramatta Eels are a great headline team, good or bad. So, but you know, like we said, Eels taking care of business, and you really like to see that. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, that's it's onwards and upwards with trying to make sure that we retain the this as many of the current squad as we can, and. Uh, once that's done, that gives us, a, as you say, a clearer view of whether there's any uh, space left in the cap or or whether there's any particular players we want to target in the way of recruitment. Yes, sir. All right, let's keep going, mate, and we'll move on to our next segment. Well, it's this time of the week where we talk to Joey Grimer about all things Parramatta Pathways. And, uh, Joey, we're fresh from the junior representation night that was held on Wednesday night. You must have been pleased with the event. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me on again. And it was great to have you in presence, uh, uh, 60s. Um, what a wonderful evening. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about some of the award winners. And um, what a fantastic uh, night to close off and reward the people that in our junior programs, both players and staff. Mate. Excellent night. Something that uh, 60s relayed to me after the night was the importance of the program was being reflected in the people who attended, Joey. There was no shortage of senior Eels management and club directors at the event. Um, it's the first time that we've had every director, uh, board of director from the Leach Club and the Football Club. Um, and I've been attending these award nights for 20 years. And um, the support by the executive group was very refreshing, man. And equal to that, we had a number of executive staff from within the various different programs of uh, our workings where we had people from the media, from membership, from marketing. Uh, it was a fabulous night and uh, 
yeah, really well supported by by everyone, particularly the the, the executives. Another thing that stood out for me, mate, was the terrific support within and between the teams. There was uh, lots of cheers for the award winners from, as I said, within their team and uh, from the other teams and lots of photos being taken with a, a mixture of the players from the different teams in the photos. It was just a really good vibe, I thought, on the night. Yeah, it's always good when you have that level of excitement from those beautiful, wonderful young ladies. They exude so much energy and enthusiasm, whether it's at a footy game, at training, and as you witnessed this week at the presentation night. And again, it's a culminating of a number of things. One, that um, we've had staff now in their programs for two, three seasons. So their relationship within their own staff are somewhat solid and genuine. And then you've got the um, um, the different teams or the different dynamic groups where the Harold and Matthews train at the same venue on the same evening. So there are relationships between the, each other, whether it be player to the staff member, staff member to staff member, or history ball player to Harold Matthews player. It's just so um, uh, genuine and really, really impressive. And, and that, that relationship and that understanding and that familiarity showed. And equally with the girls, uh, our ladies program, um, they play before or after or in between the two male programs. So there's that cross-pollination, uh, if you like, of relationship. And it was evident to see everyone there. And I had a lot of comments from the board um, suggesting, you know, they, or they didn't really suggest, they didn't understand or recognise how close the groups were, being different age groups and some being male and some being female, but that's the beauty of our program. Well, further to the tightness of those bonds and those relationships, Joe, we had some of the Pathways players in the NRL squad come straight from training to the event, and it's a terrific reminder of to all players, not just the ones that are in the awards and the ones that were attend, are coming from training, that the importance of pathways in, in creating not just a pathway to, to the NRL, but the, the closeness of the friendship and the companionship that goes along yeah, that journey. Absolutely. Uh, players like Dave Hollis, who uh, two years ago sat in the same chair and was given um, awards and trophies by uh, our Hall of Fame and Nathan Kalis. And then we had Sean Russell, who, if it weren't for COVID last year, he would have been sitting in that same um, spot as some of those young men and women were. Uh, if it were allowed to run last year. So it's very, very important then that we have the custodians uh, of our first grade squad whose legacy is have come through our junior rep program. And we would like to double and triple that um, in the next two to three years. So it was very special because they know what it's all about because they've been there. And when they give the players their awards, um, it would have been very similar to those players receiving their awards. Uh, mate, just, I just wanted to divert just a little bit to uh, give a couple of mentions from the night, um, uh, just with regard to some players with their awards. In the Harold Matts, uh, Saxon Pryke was a dual award winner, getting the players player and the best and fairest. That was a pretty big honours for him because obviously the players' play is a big honour, but then also to get the best and fairest, that was a big achievement from him. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't happen that often, although I'm sure you're going to outline 
the other person who was recipient. Yeah, of the yeah. I'm, I'm um, going to come to that for the SG Ball team, yeah. I, I wanted to get in early because it very rarely happens. And to have it happen on the same night by different teams is very, very rare. But um, you talk about Saxon Prike. And the two best awards that you can get on the night from each team are the players' player and the best and fairest. The players' player uh, information or the nominations are gathered uh, post-match uh, and they're collected and they're um, are nominated by your peers. The players that you just went on the field with and have come off and celebrated or commiserated uh, the, the, the result of the game. And the best and fairest... It's an award that's nominated by your staff as to each game individuality, what you brought to it, um, the, you know, basically everything outside that. So in saying that, the two best awards are those. You've got your best forward, best back and your coaches award, but it's when you're governed and recognised by your peers and your staff, um, they know you better than than anyone. So they're your two great awards. And for Saxon Pride to get uh, both awards, both nominated by staff and again by players, uh, suggests that he had a special season, man. Yeah. And now just going on to the uh, others in the SG ball, we had uh, Larry Muagatutia, who uh, won the players' player and then shared the best and fairest with Josh Chappell. And then, of course, in the Tasha Gale we had Ruby Jean Kennard getting the player's player and then sharing that with Talisha Pugh for the uh, Best and Fairest Award. So uh, not just uh, happening once, but three times in the night. Yeah, and that, we got the trifecta in the 60s. And um, again, just demonstrate the consistency of those three players. And um, uh, there's not much more. The unfortunate part is that uh, where Ruby and Larry were awarded uh, opportunities to play in that next elevated representative team, um, unfortunately, there wasn't really a spot for Saxon because he was the right year uh, for the um, city versus country, where if it was a, a year younger, we would have had all three people get selected for their representative um, city country uh, origin game. So... Um, all three of them, uh, Ruby, Larry and Saxon, um, all had amazing years. And I think you should get Man of the Match Award just for mentioning Larry's last name. <laughs> uh, Larry's been a fun one to follow, actually. You know, big engine, nice offload. I get through plenty of the work in the front row. So good to see him rewarded for that one, Joey. It, it's great. Uh, 20s. And you know what, Jono? Um, two years prior, or when it was Harold Matthews, when he was in the Harold Matthews, he won the Players' Player Award. So he's done the double. Um, not only winning the uh, the um, uh, uh, best and fairest and the players' player this year, but he also got the double because he won the players' player when he played Harold Matthews and players' player when he won when he played S3 Ball. So um, his consistency or his last two or three seasons of consistencies um, shows, and that's why he's been rewarded uh, into the Jersey Flex. That's it. Now, Joey, the uh, post has just come by on the old beaten-up Honda C110 to drop off the mailbag for this week. And uh, the first question comes from Martin. He's got a lengthy one here, um, and it's something that we spoke about prior. He asks, earlier in the podcast on the tip sheet, you and the boys have talked about players converting from one position to another, i.e. from half to dummy half, centre to back row. 
Um, is that something that is player driven or is it coach coach initiated? Sorry. And if it's coach driven, is it skills or physique which might bring about or motivate the change? Yeah, nice question, Martin. Um, normally in the junior rep space, it's uh, coach driven as to what's best for the team. And we've had a couple of recent examples of this, particularly with our FC Ball program. Uh, Samuel Luizio had traditionally um, played as a 5'8", um, a, a running 5'8", in the 14s, 15s and 16s. When he came into the SG Ball, we had a Jabriel Kalachi and we had a Jacob Arthur. So we thought, how can we fit three halves into the team? It was an easy fix. Um, Craig saw some value in Samuel Luizio uh, being a, an, an outside back, either a winger, fullback or the position that he turned out to be in that season was centre. So we accommodated everyone's skill sets and maximised the, the best players on the field at any given time. Um, I mentioned Jabriel Kalachi um, um, earlier on when he played 5-8. Also this year, uh, Craig felt that he had some value in at right centre. And we had uh, two halves, Keelan Bray and um, uh, Josh Chappell. And Craig Brennan made the decision of moving um, um, Kalachi out one spot. And we've seen what he'd done uh, the first three or four rounds. His strength, his ability to shake defenders off, uh, it worked out really, really well. So they're just two recent examples. And most of the time, they are coach-generated. And the second part to Martin's question was, is it skill-based or fatigue-based? Uh, sorry, is it uh, uh, skill-based or is it um, uh, physique-based? Correct. Um, I think it's it's both. Um, normally, the, the, the natural transition of, of players or positions would be six, seven, and one, um, which is, you know, your half, five, eight, and fullback. The other part would be um, would be your, your dummy half, uh, your halfback and five, eight, who have similar skill set, who ironically have similar physique. So to change them uh, is not too distracting or doesn't change too much. The other area where players change from position to position are from middle or a lock to a edge running back row and ultimately come up as a centre. And a classic example of this would be Murata Neoclore mm-hmm. in our NRL. The physique uh, matches whether that person plays in the middle or in an edge. Um, the skill set is similar the same. And normally they do have the same agility and speed. So it's not too different from what they already have, but it's an understanding of um, um, a little bit of expansion uh, or their awareness of other positions. And that's why they transition um, better most times than not so well. Uh, mate, just so just talking about that as the – as. Uh, coach driven um, is it ever a, a, a case of then having to really sell it to the players concerned that uh, this is in it that it's in their interests that it's um, it's something that's going to benefit them in the long run is that is that uh, is there a sell involved or, or do they mostly just take it in their stride and go yeah right no no um, it is a great sell 60s um, and a lot of the players, uh, when we're creatures of habit, uh, whether it's work related, 
sport related or whatever, no one really likes change. There's an adaptation to change that we have to be comfortable with. When you talk to your player and, you know, at that young age, they can be a little bit short-sighted and they're worried about themselves and don't have the best interest of the team um, at the forefront. So there is a selling part, uh, but I think that if you can sell it to them and be honest, um, you, you're not going to get in trouble. And whilst it might be challenging initially during the conversation, um, there are a lot more pros um, than than cons when you sell it to them or you're trying to substantiate the reason why. But there always is a little bit of pushback initially. And, um, I, I, you know, particularly at the junior rep level where they're fixated on playing a position, especially if you're playing someone as a halfback or they've been traditionally playing as a half or five-eight who is in the action all the time, who've got their hand on the ball uh, uh, more times than not, and then you push them out one spot into the centres where they're a little bit less busy, they're a little bit less of the limelight, can be a little bit of a disadvantage or a disappointment for them initially. So there is an element of selling and there's an, it, it, there's an element of a uh, bit of a trade-off. This is what you'll get um, if you move into this position. Ultimately, it's going to benefit the team. The next question comes from Michael Joey, and I'm going to interject midway through it with an example. But um, recently, we've seen NRL players get caught out making mistakes where it's apparent they don't know the rules. And the one thing that comes to mind for me was last weekend we saw on across multiple games, grubber kicks in the end goals that were taken out by the defender where they'd bounced right near the ball line and bounced up and out. And the defender has touched the ball with the foot over line, which resulted in a line dropout. Um, but further to what Michael was saying... Um, is there any time given in elite pathways to educating about the rules, or is there an expectation that elite players should know the rules themselves or take the time to educate themselves? Okay, the first part, no. There's no education process for the players to understand refereeing decisions or the rules. Um, that's something that uh, we haven't done. It's not something we would uh, dismiss, and it could be something that we touch on, attach onto our uh, more elite programs like our junior elite talent squads, our Jets program, there might be one sort of competency that we add on to there, but it's not something that we offer our players through our development pathways. Um, further to that, the second part is that um, a lot of the players uh, don't understand the rules, and you might find this funny, but, but yeah, our young players don't really watch rugby league. No, that, that so is, they wouldn't. Yeah, that is something that's really funny. When you have a chance to chat to you know professional rugby league players, it's shocking how little they they. Well, not shocking, but it's surprising how little they watch rugby league. But it makes sense when you think about it in the context of a job, right? If you're oh, if you hundred percent. If you sell lights, you don't go home and think about lights. You know, when rugby league's your job, there are people that would still love it that much to watch it, but you don't go out and just watch and watch and watch it in your spare time. Yeah, and the, the minority is becoming smaller that actually watch uh, rugby league. Um, there are so many distractions, there's so many opportunities, so many options now for players to become distracted and, and not watch rugby league games, NRL games. And that's where you get your information from. And you hear the uh, other commentators um, talk about, you know, catching the ball, having one foot on the line. You don't have to catch it, you just have to. Touch it, yeah. The fact that they repeatedly say that week in and week out, players catching the ball, 
when the ball bounces from the in goal area and they catch it before it bounces behind the dead ball line. It, the, the, the commentators drive you mad, but if the players watched the game, they would be better educated, um, not only on the awareness part of the game, but on the rules or the tactics of it. And that's what we don't have. Our junior, our young men and women don't really watch rugby league and it's becoming um, uh, less frequent that those younger people watch rugby league. I suppose back in, when you think about it, back in the older days, now I'm going back to obviously uh, pre-pay TV when you'd only have uh, a couple of games each weekend that would have been shown. So players back then wouldn't have been spending their time watching a lot of football games because there wasn't a lot of football games that was necessarily covered on the TV. But uh, no, nowadays, no, right. they're just absolutely inundated with uh, football wall-to-wall on the weekend. But as you say, they've got plenty of other distractions for them. Oh, 60s. Uh, if we were that young and uh, we had Snapchat and um, whatever those other silly absent young people use today, uh, we would probably have no time for watching any TV or rugby league. So, yeah, it's just unfortunate. But I think um, um, visuals, and we talk about, you know, learning abilities, uh, the visual part of watching something and then getting a description of it um, is the best learning tool. And if they're not watching and and finding out what's right or wrong or getting a description of it, they're not really going to know. And it's, it's, it's not uncommon or it's not a – it's – it's not a fluke that um, some of these NRL players get it wrong. Uh, there was there was actually an interesting thing on uh, uh, Vossi's segment of the fan a couple of weeks back where they were asking coaches about the biggest rugby league nerd in their uh, that they've coached in their in their past. People who are just absolutely dedicated to the game, and the surprising name that came up from Trent Robinson was uh, Fergo. He said he was he was just a, a rugby league tragic with watching and um, studying rugby league. I, 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 it's funny, I just didn't see it. But, um, they, yeah, he said he's a, a, a real rugby league nerd. Oh, it must have been a Roosters thing because I don't see it either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, now, just that's a nice little lead-in because we just... I'd uh, like to finish up with our NRL question, mate. Um, the Rabbitohs had a really bad loss last week, and maybe that's a bad time to be coming up against them. But um, like us, uh, we're also hurting, so maybe they're thinking the same thing. Um, last year, they had our measure and really gave us a thumping during the normal rounds at Bankwest Stadium. So how do we beat them this time? Yeah, I think um, um, without trying to dissect and be too pretty, I think where we've got the advantage of is uh, through the middle pack. I don't think their middles, their forwards, are as um, strong as what we have this week. So the simple answer is um, playing them through the middle. Um, Short and simple, if we play them through the middle, we know what shapes they're going to run. They're going to load up to our left-hand edge or their right-hand edge and use Walker uh, and uh, Mitchell out the back, uh, we know that. But I think that 
the real advantage for us this week is through the forwards, men. So um, I don't think there's going to be too much discouragement from playing them outside the middle third or playing them through the middle third, I should say. So uh, that's our one big advantage this week, mate. That's a, a nice little succinct summary of how the Eels need to attack the game on Saturday, Joey. And before we go, one last little thing. Um, Parramatta fans obviously waking up to some great news this morning, a 7 o'clock uh, uh, press release by the club. Mitchell Moses and Ryan Madison both re-upping. Uh, Maddo taking up his player option for one further year at the club. And Mitchell Moses in a huge sign of confidence from both sides, both the club and the player, re-upping until the end of 2024. That's obviously really nice to have some key pieces locked in for at least uh, the short term and in Mitch's case, long term, mate. Yeah, John, you mentioned that word confidence, and it gives Brad, the team, the staff, the club, the confidence that people want to stay. Players, our best players want to stay on it. Mitchell's had, uh, Mitchell's had a sublime year this year, and I think that's showing in his football that he's happy. And whilst he had two or three offers, one serious offer that was considerably uh, worth more um, than what I understand with the, the Eels deal, uh, it just showed uh, that, you know, Paramount is a place to be. He, he, he understands that there's a, a, a window um, of a real genuine chance for premiership, and... Um, Really, really uh, uh, glad that he signed on. Equally with Maddo, um, he hasn't played anywhere near his best. He's coming back from some serious um, head injuries. And I've got no doubt by the back end of this year, um, he's going to be one of our most uh, prolific, um, devastating players. Um, he's just taken a little bit more time to come back into the form that he showed uh, being selected for Origin. So... Uh, two great signings, and on the back of Nathan Brown three weeks ago. So we're getting the, the top five, six players um, signed with our club. So it just shows that, yep, we've got good leadership of the club uh, by getting these signatures uh, done. And it's a place, it's a destination club. Players want to be here, and players want to come here. Um, so really, really excited about those two or three signings, man. That's it, mate. And as always, Joey, an absolute pleasure. Next, we're going to have some fun stuff to talk about because hopefully we'll get a good result against the Rabbitohs. But it's also Origin 1 Selection Week, so we'll have some uh, representative eels to discuss for the uh, tip sheet next week, Joey. But between now and then, I hope you have a great time, mate, uh, and look after yourself. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you couldn't get there at the presentation night, Jono, but I'm sure we'll get you there next year. And um, 60s? It was so nice having you there, and um, the coaches spoke very highly of the Cumberland throw. So you two do, two guys are doing a lot of work that is not going unnoticed, and the executive board and directors just know exactly what effort, energy, and enthusiasm you put into the junior rep program. And I really love what you're doing for our program, and I hope your podcast listeners understand that you know, the work that you go to, you're not getting paid for it, you're doing a pro bono, and it just gives them a, a better insight to see how future stars, men and women. Thank you, John. Well, mate, it, it, it was, I must say, it was a it was a real uh, surprise, but very much appreciated when Breno uh, gave that mention to the Cumberland throw as part of his speech and the presentation night. But yeah, uh, it, it really meant a lot and uh, much appreciated. Uh, well, you guys mean a lot to us. Thanks very much. Have a safe week, 
and go the Eels this weekend against those Rabbits. That's it, you legend. Catch you later, Joey. See you, guys. Let's get into the previews for round 12, 60s, and it's, uh, as Elmer Fudd would say, it's wabbit hunting season in round 12. A triple header out at Stadium Australia with all three grades taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, action kicks off at 1.15pm in the Jersey flag as the 7th placed Eels take on the 6th place Rabbitohs in a game that obviously has important ramifications for that uh, early to mid-season ladder jostling. Eels obviously want to be inside that top six that will go on to play finals football. Rabbitohs wanting to hold down the fort there. Uh, Rabbitohs four wins, four losses, one bye. Parramatta three wins, five losses and two byes. So a win for the Eels will put them on rel- a relatively equal footing pending that result from the second bye. Uh, sorry, pending the Rabbitohs' second bye moving forwards. Um, as we go through the teams here, uh, the Eels, a few changes this week. Got Tyrone Harding back at fullback, uh, the guy I like to affectionately dub the Slim Reaper. Plays a little bit like David Peachy, um, but he's uh, fun to watch, isn't he, 60s? Oh, very much so, yeah. And then on the flanks, you got Matthew Komalafi and Thrawn East Hope. Both of those players coming off uh, from what we saw last start, great games and a bad loss against the Dragons. Samuel Luizu in the centres with Jaden Skinner. Good to see uh, Samuel back in action as always. And um, more game time for him will mean he's um, going to potentially push ahead into the New South Wales Cup at some point. In the halves, you've got Tavita Massima and Josh Chappell. Uh, different looking front row this week with Luke Bain and Jack Colavati on either side of Jaden Yates, who was playing dummy half. In the back row, Oliver Clements is the senior figure alongside Peter Tatio and Caleb Toey, who are a couple of those fantastically talented SG ball prospects that are pushing up into the flag this year. On the bench, Continue with that theme of youth. It's Kyle Schneider as the lone experienced hand, and he's there with uh, Jonte Jr. Beffen Misa, Larry Moaga Tatia, and Brock Parker. So you've got three big bookends, all of which are playing SG ball in 2021. So good to see all the young kids pushing through. Penny Tohi is the 18th man, um, and they're taking on the Rabbitohs, like I said, kickoff 1.15 p.m. I'm just having a look at this uh, Rabbitohs team, and I can't just trying to see if anyone really jumps out at me, and uh, no... I might be missing some obviously talented players here, but in terms of the players that we know and have seen in the junior rep sixties, no one really jumps out here. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually interested in um, the Eels pack that they've that they've named because I thought in what wasn't um, a great game the other the other week, I thought Bain was I thought he's been solid since he's. Since he's uh, featured in the team, this is so, a bit of a bit of a revenge game for Bain, I believe, because he came from South Sydney, if I'm not mistaken. So a chance to uh, get one in against the old club, if I'm not mistaken. So Penrith Panthers and maybe South Sydney, I believe. So yeah, thought, and and also good to see Caleb Toey playing because when we called that last game, yeah, it looked like a serious ankle injury. injury. Yeah, um, Caleb, absolute dynamo uh, with the ball in hand and a pretty solid defender too. Uh, you wouldn't know he's an SG ball prospect from the way he plays in the flag. Uh, him and Pete have both been handfuls for defenders to contain. Um, and same goes for uh, off the bench, big Jonte Jr. Beffermees, who's been a good workhorse for the Eels. So all the young kids really impressing here. Like I said, kickoff here kicks off at 1.15pm. And then that will take us into the New South Wales Cup fixture, which kicks off at 3 o'clock with the third-placed Eels hosting the 10th-placed Rabbitohs. A chance for the Eels to redeem themselves after their loss to Manly or Blacktown Manly last week. A few changes now in the reserve grade lineup with our players being reshuffled, players caught up and otherwise injured or suspended. Uh, so at fullback this week, Sean Russell sliding back into his preferred position, moving from wing to the number one. On the flanks, you've got Hayes Dunster and Big Solomon in Idiki, who gets his call up after about a month out of the New South Wales Cup in between injuries and playing for Flegg. 
So good to see Big Solomoni back in the senior football. Will Penasini and Michael Oldfield will partner up in the centres. Hayes Perham is not dropped. He's shifting from fullback to 5'8", and will partner Jordan Rankin in the halves. In the front row, Big Makahesi Makatol leads the way with Wiramu Greg as the other bookend on either side of Nathaniel Roach. Back row of Ellie Elsgaham, Sharbel Tassapali, and Kurt Dillon. Uh, obviously influenced by the fact that Ray Stone is injured and Keegan Hipgrave is suspended. So uh, Coach Ryan Carr doing what he has to do there. On the bench, Lolotol Mata Arfa will be the utility back with Kai Rodwell, Atasi James getting caught up from Flegg, and Dave Hollis also there from the Flegg, but I think returning from the last New South Wales Cup game, um, giving the Eels a bit of beef on their interchange. Samuel Loizu is the 18th man, and they're taking on the Bunnies, which feature plenty of uh, former Eels one way or another. I'm just looking at their lineup. Jacob Gagai, obviously a one-time Parramatta prospect playing first grade for Cronulla and uh, Newcastle. Troy Dargan is their captain and 5'8", another highly touted Parramatta junior prospect that went to Brisbane and then followed Wayne Bennett to South Sydney. Uh, then we've got uh, James Hassan and uh, Buddy Gordon on the bench, Eileen Gordon, so a couple of uh, former Reggie Eels there. But they've also got some serious strike power on this team, 60s. I'm just looking there. Uh, I think Stephen Masters played a little bit of first grade. Braden Burns is a very solid outside back. Uh, you had Dean Hawkins, who made his NRL debut the other week. Liam Knight is a good front row prospect. Uh, Patrick Mago and Jaden Sewer. What what's Jaden Sewer doing in reserve grade? I have no idea. And now Bryce's Bryce's cousin Jed Cutright in the second row as well. So it's a it's a it's a very very formidable. That, that, that is not a tenth. That is not a tenth place lineup. So no, uh, the no. Eels going to have to come out the play. I will tell you what. Yeah, it's uh, unless there's some sort of disconnect in how they're playing, you'd have to think that that's a team which won't finish. Tenth by the t- if that's still the side that uh, takes the field yeah. for the rest of the season that that is not a that is not a tenth placed when I was doing the, when I was doing the show notes for this I was I was shocked I was like how are they running second last in the competition so obviously they've either tweaked their lineup this week with reinforcements or something's gone wrong throughout the course of the first third of the season but either way the Eels have their hands full taking on. The uh, Myrtle and Red in reserve grade. Uh, just on the Eels, going to be very fun to see how Sean Russell goes back in his preferred position, 60s. And the other one I really want to shout out was, good to see Tarsi James getting the call up because he's been fantastic for the Eels in the flag. Been a real shining light amongst a, a few weeks of inconsistent play for the team. Uh, just so physical and and uh, so confrontational, which is what you love to see from a big front row forward or a big mutter forward. I actually like that bench in the Eels Cup team. I think... Uh, Matter Arthur has, I think he's had some really good moments mm-hmm. for. No, I agree. Uh, and uh, and of course Rodwell, uh, big fan of Rodwell and what he brings to the middle when he comes on. And then of course we've got Atazi James and Davey Hollis. So that is that's a very good looking bench, and especially when you consider the players that aren't available. Uh, I'm I know Ellie Elzakim has been he's had. If you can call a season in in cup a breakout season, I think he's made the club have a real close look at him with how he's been uh, performing. He's, I'm sure, at, at the very least, they'd be looking at keeping him around next year based on what he's. I'd, I'd uh, hope so. He he for a young man, he's a very savvy line runner. Um, he knows his way to the trial line on the back of how he runs, like he sells his unders and overs lines. Um, you know, decent sized body, got a bit of an offload, done everything required of him. So it's been real fun watching him progress in 2021. Yeah, and as you know, I nominated Sharbel Tassapali as uh, most improved during the NRL preseason. 
So I was going to be very keen to see what his progress was this year. And he, he's had some injuries and um, a bit of time up and down between the flag and the cup team. So hopefully he can uh, make the best of his opportunity in the starting lineup this week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then of course we've got uh, Makahesi Makatoa, who he, the motor on that bloke is quite astounding that number of times in a game, you'll, you'll take two, hit-ups in a set of six. And quality hit-ups too, not just filler stuff. He's getting to yeah. the advantage line and pushing through it. So, yeah, Mac has been really good this year. And he was someone that was tipped off to us last year by Coach Ryan Kai in the preseason saying, you guys got to watch out for him. He's going to do a job for us. And then, unfortunately, as we all know, the season never really got underway proper. So, yeah, good to see Macca kick on in 2021 and really solidify his spot in the starting team and potentially move on to bigger and better things this year if uh, he keeps going the way he's going. Well... I think when we're talking about Eels players being called up for origin duties next week, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. he might end up getting a, a show in the NRL. And uh, as we know, the second-tier players can be called upon now that we've gone past round 11. Correct. So uh, who knows? Who knows what next week might have in store for him? All right, let's talk NRL, Van. Let's talk about, not necessarily next week, but obviously Saturday coming, uh, 5.30 p.m. kickoff, the fourth-placed Rabbitohs hosting the third-place Eels. It is the official Indigenous round in the NRL, so it's the Gadigal South Sydney Rabbitohs taking on the Burramatta Girl Parramatta Eels. Um, Eels obviously have that fantastic Indigenous trip this year, and if you haven't seen it, I, I strongly encourage you to check it out. The club has just hit it out of the park this year. It's gorgeous, and, um, and it pays tribute to... Uh, an important part of the history for Parramatta. Um, so please do so there. Uh, taking on the Rabbitohs, as you said, and the Rabbitohs looking pretty formidable this week, 60s. Uh, spearheading them out back is Latron Mitchell at fullback. Um, that really dangerous back line features Alex Johnston and Tane Milne on the wings, Dan Gagai and Campbell Graham in the centres, Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds, who was also captain in the halves, six and seven respectively. Front row is Jai Arrow, Damian Cook and Tevita Tatoa. You've got Kion, Kolomatangi, and Jacob Host on the edges with Cameron Murray at lock forward. On the bench, the uh, not quite evergreen, but uh, the uh, Myrtle Green, uh, Benji Marshall, with uh, Mark Nichols, Hamasele, and Thomas Burgess rounding out their interchange options. Extended roster features Liam Knight, Jaden Sewer, Patrick Mago, and Braden Burns. Uh, pretty handy team right there, 60s. We'll get to them in a second. We'll just go for the Eels first. Uh, some controversial selections, I suppose, or a selection that's going to get fans up in arms, which I can understand as well, along with some changes enforced by uh, suspension and a returning player too, uh, which means the Eels look like this with Quentin Gufferson, captain and fullback, Mike Acevo and Blake Ferguson, left and right wing respectively. Tom Opachik and Wanga Blake are in the centres, and that Blake selection is probably the one that's going to earn the eye of the fans given how the right edge performed Against Manly, we'll get to that shortly. Uh, in the halves, Jacob Arthur has his final fill-in game for Dylan Brown and will partner Mitchell Moses there, who was the halfback. Oregon Kafusi replaces the suspended Reagan Campbell-Gillard in a straightforward uh, swap right there. Oggy's been very good in 2021 and gets his second start of his young career. He'll partner Junior Paulo on either side of Reed Marnie. In the back row, it's unchanged. Isaiah Papali'i, Ryan Madison, and Nathan Brown at lock forward. Murata Niakore is back from his two-week holiday due to a dubious high shot on James Tedesco given the nature of how Tedesco attacks defenders with his body um, and he'll be on the bench with Sean Lane Joey Lussick and Bryce Cartwright Hayes Dunster Makahesi Makatoa Will Penasini and Jordan Rankin round out an, an interesting uh, shadow bench a lot of outside backs there Maka the only real recognised forward 
um, which means that if the Eels are going to be engineering some sort of pregame shuffle, uh, the options are somewhat limited. 60s, let's start with the Rabbitohs. Um, coming off an absolute thumping at the hands of the Penrith Panthers, their second 50-point loss of 2021. You know they're going to be out for blood. They're a team that has uh, tested the Eels significantly in recent years. They match up very well, given they like to attack right to left, and we do have a, a, our struggles down the right edge in recent years. Uh, how are we going to take them on? I know Joey said that you've got to win it through the middle and later platform there. Um, do, you, do you have anything to add to that, or is it just as straightforward as bash him up the middle, don't give him the opportunity to attack or get downhill? I can't see the game being played any other way for the, and, and for the Eels to win. That, to me, we have to get back to those sorts of basics where no other, look, no other team has the record that Parramatta does in terms of keeping the opposition in their own half for play the balls. Mm-hmm. So the Eels do an, an exceptional job at pinning an opposition team in their half. Now, that comes about through uh, the compressed defence that the Eels use and also an aggressive defence that the Eels use. Last week, we saw something that looked like a compressed defensive line, but one that didn't function as a compressed defence line should do. So consequently, you saw Manly get around the outside of it far too easily. You saw Manly able to manufacture uh, long, uh, long-distance tries. Mm-hmm. You saw Manly able to uh, get an overlap just with the, the shift of the ball because the middle didn't do the job of shutting them down. Now, I know we spoke about that a little bit earlier, but it goes to the point that we didn't play the type of football last week that we had been up to now. So we have to get back to that type of football. We have to get back to being aggressive through the middle. We have to get back to having good line speed in that compact, that compressed defence that we use. So to be thinking about any other way of uh, engineering a win, no, we've got to have that good kicking game. We've got to have the good... uh, advancing defence line, we've got to win the middle, and then we take it from there. On the other hand, I actually see the Rabbitohs looking to do exactly what Parramatta does. Forget the fact that they have that um, lethal left-side attack. One of the things that stood out when the Rabbitohs beat us last time was Adam Reynolds' kicking game. He turned us around all night in that game against the Rabbitohs where they, yes, they exposed our left side, but they, as, as we spoke about earlier, there was no contest that was going on in the middle. They were allowed to do what they wanted, and he had us pinned in our own half so that we were playing the sort of game that we want our opposition to play. South play a very, very similar game to that end. When you've got someone who's got a good kicking game in your halves, you take advantage of that, and then you try to build through winning the middle. So um, I I actually see two teams who are going to go about with similar tactics. That's a a good point there. Um, How do you think the Eels will 
adjust to a game without Reagan Campbell-Gillard. Oggy obviously being very good. I'm not too worried about the one-two punch given by by him and Junior to start the game. What does that mean for our bench? How are you going to expect the Eels to hold that uh, transition as the game gets through its uh, second and third rotations? Well, I think that's probably been the key to why we haven't seen Murata return to the centres. Because if you take Murata off that bench and you're probably looking, you're, you're then looking at a bench that has uh, Sean Lane, Joey Lussick, Bryce Cartwright, and uh, what potentially Makahesi Makatoa, who would be making an NRL debut. So you'd have to say that that would be what the bench would look like. Now, does that mean that we would have the same punch coming off the bench? I doubt it. And that's not that's not any form of disrespect. It just means that as soon as we lose one of the props and then we've got um, uh, less options uh, coming off the bench with having to promote Oregon Kakusi to the starting lineup, we have to go back to the uh, the bloke who brought the impact last year, which is Murata. So um, I think that's definitely shaped Brad Alpha's decision there. Now, he is on record saying he wanted Murata back in that middle rotation when he uh, had the opportunity to put him back there. Um, and I know that it, it raises the, the conversation of, well, what's the better need for the team, having that middle rotation reinforced or having Murata shore up that right edge where it would look so much more sound defensively with him next to Fergo as opposed to Wanga? Um, which probably leads well, me... Let, let me let me throw this question uh, back to you, mm-hmm. and therefore to the listeners. Um, I was, and let me preface it by saying, I was highly disappointed when there wasn't a change made this week in the in the centres. But I refrained from joining in the narrative in uh, that was out there on. Uh, social media, I've refrained from joining in the narrative even on the Cumberland throw. Maybe I've been conspicuous by my uh, absence on the Cumberland throw this week in terms of the narrative around team selections. What I will say is, coming out of this week, would it have been likely that in the following week, that Murata would be playing centres. If we were to have Junior Paulo, Regan Campbell-Gillard, possibly Reed Marnie, and possibly uh, Nathan Brown... Yeah, there's no, no way you could, you could have Murata not playing middle in that, in that uh, scenario. Yeah, yeah. so are we going to look for ways that... Wonga Blake can improve his form this week in first grade, or you're going to have him dropped out of first grade this week only to have him back next week, recalled next week, and have that disruption of having um, player change and movement when you know there's going to that, that same player is going to be back up in first grade regardless the following week. And that's the that's the reality. So, I think rather than everyone piling onto uh, Wonga Blake, it's a situation where first of all we have to recognise the Eels didn't perform 
well across the entire park last week, where very few players, and, and you did the gradings on this, mate, very few players would have got a pass mark no, on their I performance. Think there was right? maybe four or five that got uh, a C or higher. There was lots of uh, Ds and, and whatnot, and uh, some very uh, stringent uh, grades and, and comments given in terms of their performances. The team as a whole were awful. Yeah, so we had a team that performed poorly. You had um, a centre who has then received much of the criticism for the Eels' loss, and yet, if and and I don't care how many breaks were made on that side, and I and I you know, mate, I was sitting next to you during the game last week. I was just as critical of as of Wonga as the next person was. But in the cold, hard light of day, when you sit back and you look at that performance, it was an awful performance across the entire team. So uh, you're going to have a Wonga Blake who's going to be an essential selection in two weeks' time. Why would you drop him for this week? You, we need him to be building in confidence, not the opposite. So I think it's probably time that we, we try to give him um, a bit of support right now because he's going to be needed because we're going to be depleted in the in the forwards and we can't have Murad and Yukore playing out in the centres when yeah. he's going to be needed uh, to be playing in the middle for the, the next couple of weeks. Origin, a tradition, traditionally in recent years, a period where the Eels have really accelerated and uh, stormed up the ladder by virtue of having a, a very good team that hasn't been you know picked out, uh, has eyes picked out by the Origin selectors has uh, really turned into a wild card this year, hasn't it, for Parramatta? Um, Reid Marnie, uh, now probably the number one uh, rake uh, in terms of Harry Grant, you know, right there with him and, and probably ahead of him in terms of incumbency, but has got huge question marks over his health, which pushes Reid right into the spotlight. You mentioned the two bookends, Paulo and Campbell Gillard. Nathan Brown, now a factor all of a sudden with the Radley suspension and the fact that he's played Origin last year. Quinton Gufferson in the mix as a utility back for the uh, the Sky Blues. So the Eels faced a proposition of missing, you know, four-plus players and core players here. Um, just about the only player that they're not going to be missing who probably should be in contention is Mitchell Moses. Uh, but given that uh, Nathan Cleary is playing the house down and uh, Brad Fittler seems dead set on picking Jack Whiten as his 5'8", uh, Moses, for one way or another, has not been in the mix for Origin. Uh, but then this weekend when Cleary picks up a season-ending injury... And uh, Moses is then called up into Origin team. It'll make it even harder. Uh, could you, the, <laughs> the actual perspective Parramatta team in that, in that scenario is wild. Uh, Dylan Brown obviously back next week, which would help um, in that in that event. But you're talking Arthur and Brown in the halves, a front row pairing of Oregon Kafusi and Sean Lane, maybe. Yeah, a uh, uh, book ending um, Joey Lussick. Oh, jo- Joey Lussick. Uh, you've got uh, a back row, which wouldn't be too bad, Papali'i on one edge, Matto on the other, and Murata Niakore at lock forward. Uh, but at fullback, if Gaffo's picked? Mm, interesting. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what, you, what do you, you do at probably be Ferguson? At, you might be looking at Will Smith, but... Uh, you'd, if he's back from his but, injury. Um, otherwise, you put Ferguson at fullback and play Hayes Dunster on a wing? Yeah. Uh, or Jordan Rankin, who's been playing in the half, it, it it gets very messy very quickly. Wow. Yeah, I think I think next week, if we if we go with what is certain in terms of well, close to closer to certain in the Origin selection, we're going to expect that um, 
Reed is going to get a Queensland origin selection. Mm -hmm. We can probably expect that both props are going to be selected. So you would say the Eels are going to be without their front row. So you're going to have uh, Murata and uh, probably Oregon uh, starting the game. Uh, Joey Lussick in, at uh, dummy half. I'm going to tip that Will Smith will be right by well, next week. If so Lussick's playing, you do need, a, do need a second half op, dummy half option. That's right, and Will Smith fits yep. that. Yep. Yep. So then you'd then you'd have um, Sean. Uh, so Will Smith, Sean Lane, Bryce Cartwright, and then maybe Mac Essie, Makatoa. I could see the Mac attack debut. making his debut. Yeah, going the Andrew Davy route. As yeah, a, and then and, and if we were to lose another forward as a result of. Uh, you know, maybe Nathan Brown getting a call up. Well, then it starts to get you know, starts to get really. Interesting. Maybe uh, maybe Marimo Greg uh, gets the call up. Yep. But outside of that, it starts to it starts to get very very interesting. And of course, let's not tempt fate because um, imagine what it would be like if a, a suspension to one of the players was thrown into yeah. the big. <laughs> yeah. You just you don't want to, but that's that's going to be that's going to be a reality, not not just for Parramatta, but for any team that around their origin uh, selections that uh, some of the the stronger teams are going to lose players, and um, if they get a, a suspension thrown in on top of it, uh, it piles on the pain Lord, very quickly. Lordy. Yeah. Uh, uh, what about the Roosters? I mean. They're, yeah, they're, they're, gonna they're injury toll followed by suspensions to Crichton and Radley. They're, oof, they're, uh, they're in some big strife there. So yeah, yeah. So they're probably they're probably lucky that there's a uh, a couple of players that are there, uh, are quality players that don't come into consideration, like uh, Joey Manu. Correct. Uh, I mean, mind you, um, I, I'd I'd. I'd probably be um, considering their winger, but it's um, it's probably a case of the Blues will be trying to fit in as many of the fullbacks. As <laughs> that, that is that is the, definitely what the narrative has been. On. Yeah, just jamming all the fullbacks. So let's yeah. get the uh, crystal ball out, mate. Let's uh, get our predictions out of the way for the round twelve clash against the Rabbitohs. How do you see this one playing out? Well, last week the only thing I was right about was total match points not being. <laughs> Terribly high, so I'll, I'll proudly take the the uh, TAB punters tip um, that I uh, getting that right last week, but I was terribly wrong about the margin and the winning team. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have to go with the Eels to win, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a bit of a bounce back, and I'm gonna suggest that the Eels win somewhere between a 12 and 18 point margin. So I'm going to suggest that the Eels win by uh, 30 to 14. Nice. I, I like that. I'd, I'd very much like a result like that. I'm going to try to think back to what I tipped on the Parrot podcast earlier this week. And I think I said something on the lines of a Parramatta victory 26 to 20. Um, I think South Sydney were going to, are going to get some of theirs, um, given how prodigious they are at attacking uh, the Eels obviously going to be up against it defensively. You have to work out that right edge. You have to figure out how to bounce back from being out-muscled through the middle and especially trying to cover the absence of Campbell Gillard. And again, it's not that Oggy won't do the job. It's that the fact that our middle depth is now being tested, even from Murata back in the fold. Um, you know, it just, it hurts. 
So uh, I can't first try scorer. I think I might have gone Quentin Gufferson. I, I can't remember that one. So I'll go with Guffo FTS here. And I'll uh, I'll go for a Guffo first try scorer as well, mate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I have the Eels narrowly pipping Souths in a fairly high scoring affair, but I would much prefer 60s uh, prediction there. So uh, let's see how it all plays out. Like we said, a huge triple header at Stadium Australia with Eels taking on the Rabbitohs across all three grades in Indigenous round. Uh, make sure to uh, catch all the action, whether you're there live or watching on TV. Then drop by TCT, thecumberlandfro.com to get all your post-game content you'd ever need. Instant reaction podcasts, grades, musings, all that jazz. And origin uh, selection discussion as well, given that it's going to be happening on Sunday evening. Um, and then they'll go carry us right through into the next week. Um, as always, fellas and ladies, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Um, you can uh, give us a like and a subscription on SoundCloud if you're so inclined. Otherwise, like I said, catch us on TCT, catch us on socials. And uh, for me and 60s, though, we'll sign off. Uh, 60s, mate, a pleasure as always. And uh, we'll be back very, very soon. Go the Eels. <laughs>